When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's a destination. We are finally here. Let's go. What is good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Destination Dynasty. As always, I am your gracious host, Scott Connor. You can find me on Twitter. It's at Charles Chill FFB. You can find out all my other work over there as well. Join the Destination Devi Discord at patreon.com slash allgas. And I have my own Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Dynasty and Chill. You get a lot more bonus content from me. Uh, everything from the old Dynasty and Chill channel is exclusive on my Patreon as well. So if you're interested in more weekly podcasts, uh, weekly Zoom chats, check that out. So that's where you can find me. Uh, we're in our last series, or our last show, talking about positional roster construction. I did decide that I am going to do a fifth episode next week, and it's going to kind of tie everything together. I went through, talked about, Obviously, the wide receivers, and then talked about tight ends, then did a running back show last week, and this final show tonight, we'll talk about quarterbacks, some strategy, how to build quarterback rooms, and then next week, I'll kind of tie it all together, because I've gotten a lot of questions uh, in various places, Twitter, the Discord, GroupMe, anywhere you interact with me, I've gotten questions about, hey, how do I get here? I've, I've realized that I have some teams that are out of roster construction. I want to get them flipped to some of the stuff that you're talking about in the first couple shows, but how do I get there? I have an existing team. This isn't a startup draft where I can go in and shape my team from the ground floor up and say, I'm going to build this way. What do I do if I have a team that needs to be completely turned upside down and I have to do it within the scope of an existing league? What are some ongoing strategies and ways you can get there? Because Let's be honest, a lot of what I'm talking about in this roster construction series is a utopian world. This is a perfect world. Fantasy football is not perfect. There is a lot of variance. There are a lot of variables that you're trying to constantly solve for. And part of that you can't really address in a series like this because you have human behaviors of the other managers in your league. You have some of the settings, some of the rules, some of the scoring, all of those things can slightly impact this stuff more than just positional strategy. So I am going to talk a little bit about that in the next week, but there are some things that really I can't even cover because you have to go back to your league and say, okay, my goal is to flip my roster construction in this given league. However, here are the nuances that makes this a little bit different than what Scott's talked about in this series of episodes. So it is important to really understand a lot of this stuff, but don't use it as a gospel. Don't say I have to be 100% perfect and exact. If you have another thing that you have in mind based on what might work in your league, try it. Just have this frame of reference in mind when you're trying to build a team, when you're trying to reshape a team, when you're approaching a rookie draft, when you're approaching off-season trading. We'll talk about some of that stuff next week. I keep saying that, but I think that show is going to be a really good tie together because there's a lot of things that happen. And one of the reasons that I think I'm a pretty good person to speak about this is because I play in almost 60 dynasty leagues. I play in almost 60 lineup dynasty leagues. I play in a lot of dynasty leagues that have no trade deadlines. A lot of dynasty leagues where the waiver wire runs all throughout the season. And then others that have parameters, trade deadlines, waiver wires that close for six months. There's a lot of variables. 
But when you have that, you you get a wide variety of experiences in these leagues. So I think I have a pretty good pulse on the market, which is the reason why I have something like this. Part of it is selfish. Part of it is I can't run 60 dynasty teams unless I have a template. Unless I have a template like this where I say, I'm trying to build teams this way. And then I'm going to use certain nuances in leagues and different scoring settings and different rules to tweak my strategy. But really, I have to have a baseline. So that's what this whole series was about. And tonight we're going to talk about quarterbacks. So part four is going to be the quarterback position. And it's interesting because for a couple years now, and this actually started back in 2020, uh, we talked about the quarterback advantage a lot more than maybe what was talked about before that. And it's been very prevalent the last couple years to where I think it's becoming a common strategy. Everybody is looking for the elite quarterbacks. We've seen the prices of the elite quarterbacks skyrocket. I mean, go look at an, any ADP source. And if you have data that goes back a couple years, uh, you can see the relative value of the elite quarterbacks now compared to just three years ago. If anybody remembers back in 2018, 2019, uh, we were at a point where we were coming off of the peak run of some of the quarterbacks that had started to fizzle out at that point, and also uh, the peak run of the wide receivers that came in in 2013, 2014, those guys were at their value peaks the years before that. So go back and look at like the 2013, 2014, 2015 wide receiver classes, and you saw the dynasty landscape just filled with those guys. And we got to a point, if you remember, the two of the highest valued, if not the two highest valued players in Dynasty, except for maybe one or two running backs, at a point was DeAndre Hopkins and Odell Beckham. And we didn't have the elite quarterbacks to where it's like, yeah, we still have Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase right now, but there are still a good five, six, seven, eight quarterbacks potentially that could go over those guys in a startup draft. That wasn't the case four or five years ago. So it's definitely been a trend where the elite quarterbacks have started to dominate strategies in terms of paying up the most, the being the most expensive assets in Dynasty. It's not wide receivers. It's not running backs anymore. Now, partially, uh, we've talked about the running back scoring and how it's down and it continues to trend down. We've also talked about the wide receiver threshold where, yeah, maybe the scoring at the top goes up, but there are a lot more receivers to go around. Uh, that are good, that have good pedigree, that have good quality than there were even five, six, seven years ago. So that's part of it. The other part of it is the quarterback scoring has really taken off. And it's not just the quarterbacks that run, uh, but it's also the efficient quarterbacks. I mean, I've talked about that in the past on Dynasty and Chill, that efficiency matters. The elite quarterbacks now are super, super efficient. I mean, last year you had seven quarterbacks inside the top 12 that were not runners. That scored less than 7% of their fantasy points on the ground. So it's not just Lamar Jackson and Jalen Hurts and those guys that are causing the quarterback scoring to go up. It's the super efficient elite quarterbacks, Pat Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, those types of guys that are, that are better than they used to be. We're not necessarily better, but they're right there in terms of fantasy production with a lot of the great quarterbacks from the past. So you combine that with some of the guys that run that are also pretty efficient. You have a guy like Kyler Murray. Last year, his efficiency was off the charts. Lamar Jackson's efficiency in 2020, off the charts. Jalen Hurts' efficiency in 2022, really good. When you combine that with their running skills, all of a sudden you get a crop of quarterbacks at the top where you say, wow, all of these guys are really good. And sure, the pocket passers don't necessarily have the break your fantasy league ceilings, but they're still scoring at a pace that's really, really good historically. So let's talk about that. The first part of the episode, I'm going to go over the data and look at kind of some of the trends over the last couple of years and where it compares to 2022 and maybe where we can spot how the quarterback landscape is changing. Uh, we talk a lot about this uh, in the Destination Devi Discord. Again, check that out, patreon.com slash allgas. Uh, we talk about the quarterback landscape constantly. Ray has talked about this a lot. Every other creator at Destination Devi has talked about this. I mean, Mike and Adam on 4D Chess have talked about this a ton, the quarterback landscape, where it's going towards next year. And then with the upcoming rookie classes, like how are those going to impact the quarterback landscape? And we've seen the trend over the last couple of years where the price to re-sign a quarterback is huge. If you're not prepared to do it, there's a chance that a quarterback could get moved. We've seen a lot of high-profile quarterbacks get traded and or threaten to be traded or talk about being traded and then signed to massive contracts. 
So you see that dynamic now playing out to where the money that the quarterbacks are going to get is huge. So you do have to make this decision. So really, it's starting to become, in the NFL, it's it's trending towards a have or have not quarterback landscape. You know, even if you have the 15th best quarterback in the league, if you want to re-sign them after four years, you know, if they're not a first-round pick, then it's obvious, but most good quarterbacks are first-round picks, so you do have the fifth-year option, but even so, I mean, look at a couple teams this year. Look at a team like the Giants. They didn't pick up Daniel Jones' fifth-year option, but if they want to sign him, they're probably looking at paying 80% or so, maybe more, of like what Derek Carr is making, and we're talking around like $40 million a year. So the question becomes, like, do the Giants want to pay that type of money to Daniel Jones? And heck, he might even get more. Same with Geno Smith. You know, the Seahawks kind of rescued him, gave him the starting job. If they end up wanting to keep him, they're probably going to have to pay him. Because any quarterback that hits the market, there's going to be somebody that's going to step up and at least give them the short-term deal where it's, you know, 30, 35 million a year. Even if it's only a two-year deal with maybe an out, there's going to be money that's thrown around for these quarterbacks. So the league has become very much a have or have not quarterback league. So when you have to make a decision on a guy that you're not totally sure about, it's a big financial commitment. But then this has come at a time where very interestingly, we had a very weak 2022 quarterback class. Maybe we'll see if 2023 is a little bit better, but with Hendon Hooker's injury, you're you're starting to look at 2023 and you go, where are the difference-making quarterbacks going to come from? I mean, right now we did the show on America's Game and we talked with Shane Hallam and he had Hendon Hooker in the first round, but there were only four first round quarterbacks. Subsequently, a couple days later, Hendon Hooker tears his ACL. It's unlikely he's going to go that high. And you look at the quarterback landscape coming into next year and it's like, man, we might only have three rookies, maybe four rookies that go in range where it's like the NFL team just paid a pick to draft them where it is a clear indication that they are going to get a shot to be the starter. You know, if you're a first-round quarterback, you're probably going to get a chance at some point. But if you're not, even if you're a late first, there is no commitment to what's like, yeah, we're going to give this guy three or four years. So I do think we're looking at a 2022 class where maybe it's only Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud that go in the top five. Maybe Will Levis goes in the top 10, top 15. But after that, do we have another first-round quarterback? So I think the point is we don't have answers over the last couple of years that are going to be coming from the rookie draft to where, wow, we have a big influx of nine first-round quarterbacks over the next two years. Maybe 2024 changes that, but that does impact what teams do with quarterbacks in free agency. There's a reason that teams trade for Matthew Stafford and Russell Wilson, or they sign Jimmy Garoppolo, or they sign Jameis Winston. You know, there's a reason those guys do that because they're saying, well, you know what? We don't really love the quarterbacks coming in and we don't really have any guarantees that we're going to be able to find one better than that. So let's take the short term option, you know, give a guy a two year deal or a three year deal. So the quarterback landscape is going to be interesting, uh, but we do see where the NFL has basically gone to a have or have not system. But it also means the last two years, we haven't seen a lot of good quarterbacks come into the league. So you sit there and you go through and, and do this exercise on your own, go through the teams Lock down the teams that you know they're not making a quarterback change next year. And you probably go through and you say, at best, half the teams in the league are not going to consider a change at quarterback. Then you look at ones that maybe have a guy under contract, but they're going to look to upgrade. Then you have ones that maybe they have somebody that's a free agent, but they're going to think about signing them. Then you think, man, there might be 10, 12, 14 jobs potentially changing hands and only two or three first round quarterbacks next year. Let's call it three. So all of a sudden you have maybe what, eight, 10 open jobs. So then you start sitting there looking at the quarterbacks that are going to get jobs and you go, wow, like a third of the landscape could change, which means a third of the quarterbacks we value in dynasty right now may change. And that doesn't even include, you know, somebody like Lamar Jackson. They could end up actually getting traded, get franchise tagged and traded. Then you have some other guys that are currently injured, like Trey Lance. Like, is he going to be a starter? And that's the point. The quarterback landscape is going to be changing more so than it did in the past. It's going to be QB carousel every single year from the NFL playoffs to the start of the new league year. We're going to get another one this year. Uh, It's going to cause a lot of drama. So, you know, a couple takeaways for fantasy. Obviously that, just the way that things are trending, that is going to make the value, just the sticky job security dynasty market value of the guys that are firmly in that top eight, top 10. Forget about their production right? Let's just talk about the guys that have guaranteed jobs. 
which means a dynasty manager is going to go, all right, I have this guy. I am confident in January that I'm drafting a guy and I know his situation at least for the next year, if not two, three, four, five years. And then obviously at the very top, you have guys that you're like, I, I have no future vision of them not being a starting quarterback for their team. So it makes those guys more scarce. That's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is looking at the actual scoring numbers and how they compare to each slot. So let's just assume, again, for purposes of roster construction, uh, let's jump into our format, which is a 12-team start 10, 28-man rosters, one quarterback, two running backs, three receivers, a tight end, two flexes, and a super flex. For purposes of this, every time you have to fill the super flex, it's going to be a quarterback. That's the goal. That's the goal. And just to recap briefly, on the receiver episode, the target number was eight receivers within that threshold. That was episode number one. Episode number two, the tight ends. Three tight ends. Shooting for the positional advantage, but unless you're in a super heavy premium, which we're not for the baseline format, we're just talking PPR, three tight ends max. Running backs. Remember, the goal was around 50% of your roster spots. So right there, if you take 50% of the 28-man rosters, you're looking at 14 running backs. Now, that might be a little bit aggressive. We were working with the number 13 or 14. So for purposes of this, let's talk 13. So let's assign 13 running backs. With the idea being, I have an anchor. Maybe I have a second semi-anchor that I trust or a second guy with really good pedigree, but is probably more of a you know low-end RB1, but I only want one of those guys. Everything else is replaceable in that range. So if we're talking 13 running backs, three tight ends, and eight receivers, that leaves us four roster spots for quarterbacks. Four left. Obviously, if you get into more roster spots, those numbers are going to change a little bit. But for purposes of this, we're going to talk about quarterback rooms where you're going to roster four quarterbacks max. And let's talk about some different builds. I'll get to that in the second part of the episode. But let's just look at the data over the last couple of years. So I went back three years and I looked at the distribution because there has been a change. 2020 and 2021 kind of saw the rise of the elite quarterbacks. That's where we saw some of those seasons. It goes back to 2019 with Lamar Jackson, too. But you saw some seasons in there where we saw the cheat code quarterbacks really, really smash, really, really start to be a big advantage. And it's trending that way more and more and more. We're seeing it with Jalen Hurts this year, uh, seeing it with Justin Fields for a lot of this year. Hopefully he can come back uh, and play the rest of this season. But we're starting to see that more and more. But we're also starting to see some trends. So I went back and I tracked some quarterback scoring trends over the past three years. And then I looked at how that compares to 2022. And we are going to talk uh, both four point and six point passing touchdowns because it does matter. Uh, I do think that you have a little more equity with the quarterbacks uh, that are efficient. You know, the efficient passers are going to matter more in a six point per passing touchdown league because those guys are going to have more touchdown passes, more yards, most likely in the relative impact of, you know, 10 yards for a rushing point, is it going to be as high in those leagues? So I did talk both formats, uh, but for purposes of this, I'm going to use six-point passing touchdowns just to articulate the argument just a little bit more. So let's look back at six-point per passing touchdowns over the past three years prior to this, and then how it's looking in 2022 uh, in comparison to those numbers. So prior to this year, in six-point per passing touchdown leagues, if you're trying to define what the replacement value is, for QB1s. So essentially, what does it take to keep up with the Joneses in the league at QB1? And this is the trickiest spot, and I'll get to why uh, here in a little bit. But over the past three years, excluding 2022, that has looked at around 25.4 points per game. Again, this is six point per passing touchdown uh, with negative one for interceptions. So 25.43. So think of that number when you're trying to consider what replacement value is at QB1. QB2. So again, we're operating in Superflex. We want to have a second quarterback constantly starting. So QB2 replacement value in six point per passing touchdowns has been about 19.4 points per game. So the difference between the QB1s and the QB2s over that period has been about 32%. So essentially you are getting a 32% advantage over the average team in the league if you're able to end up with two of these top elite quarterbacks. So just keep that in mind, about 32% of an advantage. 
and that's in six point per passing touchdown leagues. Now let's look at the distribution. And here's where you're starting to see these trends. And this is probably why the trend has grown in Dynasty the way that it has. So in 2019, keep in mind that 25.4 points per game that I talked about, only two quarterbacks eclipsed that number in 2019. Only two. Now the QB2 threshold, so 19.4 points per game, 18 quarterbacks eclipsed that in 2019. So what does that tell me? Just looking at those high-level numbers. It tells me that hitting that really high-end number in 2019 was really difficult. And it also tells me that there were a lot of replaceable quarterbacks. So if you think about the distribution, there were essentially 16 quarterbacks between those two numbers in 2019. That's a lot. That tells me they're really, really bunched up, which means if you're looking at that, the guy that had the two guys that were way above that number, right, they probably had a field day. They probably had a significant edge on the rest of the league because there were only a couple of them. But if you didn't have those guys and you were just operating with two steady quarterbacks, so let's say your quarterback room was like Aaron Rodgers and Kirk Cousins, you were good. You were within those 18. You had two of those 18, but you were not really separating yourself from the pack. There were 16 quarterbacks within that range. And that's a big difference compared to what it looked like in 2020 and in 2021. So in 2020, you had nine quarterbacks that eclipsed that 25.4 points per game number. Nine, that's huge. So you start to see the trend of, man, those guys in six-point passing touchdowns, the elite quarterbacks really, really rose up. They were a big advantage. In 2020, you only had 20 that were above the 19.36 point per game, or 19.4. And again, that's the replacement number at QB2. So in 2020, you had nine that were in the QB1 range. You only had 20 that were at the QB2 range or above. So not as many. Compared to 16 that were in that range, or in between, in 2019, there were only 11. So the people that had those elite quarterbacks in 2020, big advantage. And if you didn't have those guys, there were not as many options in that QB2 range where you could at least keep up with the pace in those QB2 spots. And if you had two QB2s, there still weren't enough to go around. If you think about a 12-team league, there's still not enough to fill everybody's starting quarterback and everybody's super flex spot. But in 2020, if you didn't have one of those nine and you were stuck rolling out the middle tier or the bottom tier of those 20 then you really weren't getting anywhere. You were actually being hurt by your quarterback position in 2020. 2021, we saw an interesting trend. So back to those numbers, 25.4 points per game for the QB1 replacement value. You only had six guys that hit that number in 2021. 19.4 points per game, QB2 replacement value. You only had 14 guys that hit that number. So again, that, that kind of dead zone range or in between the QB1 and QB2 replacement value number, last year you only had eight. So 2019, you had 16. 2020, you had 11. Last year, you had eight. So you were really, really squeezed on quarterback options last year if you were stuck having guys that were at that number or below. You got crushed. And anybody that had one of those elite quarterbacks probably made the playoffs just on the back of their quarterback. Because again, if you have one of those elite guys and someone else is rolling out two of the QB2s or below, you're getting at least a 30% weekly advantage at that spot. If you had two of those elite quarterbacks, you smashed. I mean, if you had Patrick Mahomes and Kyler Murray last year, like you won. You were definitely a team that was either in the finals, made the final four. I mean, you were a playoff team easily. And that's because you had two of those six. And this kind of goes back to the same argument I made during the tight end episode, right? It's not the exact same thing because there's more quarterbacks to go around. But think about how dominant that strategy is. Last year, there were only six quarterbacks that eclipsed that 25.4 points per game number. If you were able to have two of those guys, think about how big of an advantage that is. Because there's only a couple others to go around. If you have two of the six and there's 11 other teams... There's not many teams that even can compete with you with one of them, let alone two. And I think that's really what continued the trend. Now, the, the difference between 2020 and 2021 was the QB2s weren't as good. So the gap was even wider. So we started to see this trend in 2020 to where the elite quarterbacks at the top really started to dominate. 2021, the quarterback scoring as a whole was down a little bit but there were still six elite quarterbacks, but there were only 14 what you would call like replacement level quarterbacks. 
So only 14 guys hit that QB2 replacement level number, which means the gap between the groups that had them and didn't was even larger. And that's kind of what you're seeing in 2022 again. And I'll talk about the 2022 numbers here in a second, but it's important to understand this trend. This drives the current strategy that you're going to employ going into next year at the quarterback position. And I think it's important to look at that with what I talked about at the beginning of the show about the current NFL quarterback landscape. So you have these elite quarterbacks, but last year they really dried up in the QB2 range. And this year you're seeing the same thing. Right now, so in 2022, we have six quarterbacks that are above that number. So six quarterbacks that are above that 25.4 points per game. Now we have 18 of them that are above the 19.4 points per game. So essentially 18 of them that fit above that replacement value number. Now six of those are obviously way above the 25 uh, but there's 18 total. So what that tells me is we're starting to see a little more depth at quarterback. Uh, and that kind of explains some of the guys that have come out of the woodwork, right? And part of it could be just as simple as the 14 from last year is now 18 from this year because the rookies from last year all started. For the most part, they all sucked, but they're better now. And that literally could be the difference. So obviously last year you had like Justin Fields was way below this number. Trevor Lawrence below this number. That's two guys right there where you can say, okay, they're clearly at this number or above it this season, but last year they weren't, but they still started last year. So part of it could just simply be, we had five rookie quarterbacks that basically started all season last year. And we don't have that this year, but we have those guys that maintain their jobs. Kenny Pickett, if you want to include him in there, he's not within this sample, but the idea is that the difference is just simply, we have a couple more guys this year that are at that replacement value, but the trend is the same. The trend is the same. The elite quarterbacks are still there. We still have, for the third year in a row, at least six guys that are in this range. So what it tells you, if you have those six guys, it is still a massive positional advantage. Now, one of the issues that you start to think about is how expensive are those guys relative to the market? And that's why I think this episode is important, because I think the last two years, you've kind of been out on an island Maybe not so much before 2022, but definitely during 2021. And anybody that's been in my Patreon channel since it started, which was back um, at the beginning of the 2020 season, was right around when COVID uh, started to break out. I have been employing this strategy, and it, a lot of my teams have been two years or more of building, trying to get to this point. Like, how do I get the two elite quarterbacks on my roster? Like, we've been talking about that for a couple years. It was a big advantage in 2021. Hardly anybody was doing it. 2022, it was still an advantage, but there were other people in leagues where you might jump into a startup draft and it's like, wow, there's four or five people trying to trade up and get elite quarterbacks. And it continued not just in startups, but it continued in the trade market. You know, we've never seen the elite quarterbacks be as expensive as they are now. And as they become more expensive and as more people are trying to pursue this strategy, you're going to hit a breaking point where the demand and the supply don't match up. And it comes down to you're in a league and you're trying to employ this strategy, you're actually willing to pay more than what a trade calculator or a startup calculator or even the ADP price or the market price, whatever you're using to figure out what the cost would be, you're willing to pay above that. The problem is there's no access. Nobody's willing to sell. And that's one of the things I've talked about more and more on Dynasty Trades in 5. We get a lot of questions about elite quarterback trades on there. Check it out on YouTube. It's uh, Trades in 5 on YouTube. Uh, check out our channel. We do weekly content, weekly live streams. Uh, anyway, I get a lot of trade questions about elite quarterbacks. And one thing that's becoming more and more prevalent is if you have a chance to get an elite quarterback, if they become available, the edge is that they're available. It's not that you have to pay four plus first to get them. It's not that you have to pay the 102 and a future first and a stud top 10 receiver to get them. It's the fact that you can get them especially if we're talking about this format for this construct, a 12-team start 10 with 28-man rosters. If it's six point per passing touchdown, everything I talked about, you do what you can to get your hands on the elite quarterback with the value being that you can't get it most of the time. You can even say, I'm willing to pay up. I'm willing to pay four to five firsts for an elite quarterback. Unfortunately, in your given league, nobody's willing to trade one. So unless it is a startup, it's hard to get your roster construction to this point. So let's just talk about that a little bit. I think the idea of what quarterbacks should cost, I don't want to get into that in this episode only because I think we're going to get to that inflection point and it's probably going to happen in the offseason of 2023 
where there's four or five people in the league. Everybody's chasing the elite quarterback. And your league may be stagnant where they're not available. You're willing to pay. They're not available. Someone comes to you and says, hey, I'm willing to pay you for your Patrick Mahomes. He's just not available. I've already constructed my team around having him. He's not available. There isn't enough you could give me in a 12-team start 10, 28-man rosters for me to take him back. Barring that I'm not able just to pivot within the quarterback range where I go, okay, I can go from QB1 to QB6, and you're going to give me two firsts on top. Okay, maybe I'll consider a deal like that. But a lot of times, the people that are coming to you with those offers, they don't have a quarterback to trade you. The reason they're going after your elite quarterback is because they don't have one. So very rarely, and I don't do it either. I talk about this all the time. If I have like Joe Burrow and Jalen Hurts, I'm not interested in Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes. You might tell me, oh, those guys are slightly better. I'm not interested in paying the market price to get to those guys because I don't need to. I've captured enough of the positional advantage that it is not worth it for me to add a first to both of those guys to go get Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. Now, you might look at the numbers and go, it's guaranteed that if those guys hit their peak, those are the top two quarterbacks in fantasy. I would agree. But it isn't worth allocating my assets when I'm already built the way that I want to be. So we'll take a quick break. We'll move into the second part of the episode talking about building a quarterback room. Remember, I broke it down. We're going to allocate four roster spots to quarterbacks. What does that mean based on the current market? What does that mean based on maybe where the trends are going to go heading into 2023? So with that, I will be back in 30 seconds. Welcome back. So for part two of the episode, we are going to talk about building your quarterback room. Uh, Part one talked about the trends of scoring over the last couple years, the current market. Uh, And I did want to mention in four point per passing touchdowns, uh, the advantage isn't that different. It's actually just under 32% in four point per passing touchdowns this year. Uh, It's slightly down to only 24%. And I did forget to mention in six point per passing touchdowns, it's only about 28%. So it's closer to the last three years average uh, in six point per passing touchdowns than it is in four point per passing touchdowns. But really, it doesn't necessarily matter the scoring. Uh, The positional advantage is the same. How you're going to construct your quarterback room is going to be basically the same. Obviously, the types of quarterbacks that you might be looking for based on that format may be slightly different. So just consider that. But really, I know people are going to ask me about four point per passing touchdowns. When you get into different quarterback scoring, you can pretty much bank that it's going to be very similar in terms of how you're going to build your quarterback room. So let's talk about actual builds. So we already allocated four roster spots of your 28 spots on your team. So four roster spots are going to be allocated toward quarterbacks. So what does that mean? You know, what does that mean from a, I have an existing league and I'm trying to figure out my quarterback room. Does that matter if it's during the season or not during the season? And that's something I'm going to talk about on next week's episode Uh, in quarterbacks and running backs are the two positions where really they can be not as sticky during the season and during the off season. I think that's where you can be a little more flexible with those positions than maybe you would be at tight end or you would be at wide receiver. So let's just talk about it. So obviously with what I talked about in the first half of the episode, you want to get your hands on those elite quarterbacks. And in the scope of this format, the price really can't be too high until we start seeing it be totally different than what we've seen the scoring distribution be over the last couple years, it's still going to be a massive advantage to have the elite quarterbacks. Now, where you get in trouble is when you pay for quarterbacks and you pay a premium, but then you pick wrong. So if we look at like Dynasty Barry's warp data, shout out to Dynasty Barry. You talked about guys like Matt Stafford and Russell Wilson. Like we probably thought those guys would be maybe not top six, but had a shot to be on the low end of that quarterback one replacement value. And then they absolutely aren't. So if you drafted them or paid their cost on the open market, you're getting crushed because they're not even hitting the quarterback two replacement value numbers. So that's where you might feel a little bit of a difference is if you invested in those guys and you paid up thinking I can project them to be inside that positional advantage at QB one or close to it. And they're not. And that's where it feels like they're killing you. But relatively speaking, 
paying the price to get the elite quarterbacks, if you just want to take a shot, even if you think a guy is slightly below it, so say you want to take a shot on Justin Herbert rebounding in the offseason, say you want to take a shot at Justin Fields or Kyler Murray or whoever you might think could be the next Justin Herbert or the next Joe Burrow, like Joe Burrow is in 2022 or Justin Herbert was in 2021, say it's Trevor Lawrence, I'm okay making that bet with the idea of that's what you're chasing. So you want to try to get those elite quarterbacks. If you can get two of them, so that's going to be the first build. If you can find a way to get two of the elite quarterbacks. So if somehow you can build the team that has Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen, something like that. And I think you can probably throw Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Justin Herbert, maybe Justin Fields into that range. I'm not here to tell you which quarterbacks are in or not in that range. Look at the scoring you know, look at their skill sets, all of that kind of stuff. Look at your format. Look at the specific numbers in your format because we have a lot of leagues that are point per completion, point per first down, yardage bonuses, all that kind of stuff. Look at your format. Figure out who you would say are going to be in the elite tiers of the quarterbacks and who you want to make bets on maybe getting into those tiers next year. The main goal is trying to get two of those guys. Paying whatever it takes to get two of those guys. If you can hit on a couple of those guys pay the price to get them because probably you're not going to have to disrupt that quarterback room unless you end up with the next Russell Wilson. So there is some risk, but it's probably not as big a risk as taking some of the shots on the lower end quarterbacks and overpaying for those. And we'll talk about that in a little bit, but the two elite quarterback build, if you can hit on that, let's say you've already accomplished it, or let's say you currently have one, you're willing to pay the price to go get another. So you have to, Now, what do you do? How do you fill out those other two spots? I do think one mistake that I made this year that I'm going to correct is, again, I've been building this way. This is now the third year I've been building this way. So I have a lot of teams where you would look and say, wow, you have two elite quarterbacks. Probably half my teams have two of the quote-unquote elite quarterbacks. Now, again, our lists might be different in terms of who you say is elite, who I may say is elite, but I have a lot of teams like that. One of the downfalls I've noticed this year, Eric and I talked about this on America's Game the other day, was... These rooms can be crushed by an injury. They can be crushed by a guy that goes from the elite range down to just the okay range. So think of this year like Justin Herbert. You know, think of this year like Dak Prescott. Like those guys are good, but they're not positional advantage good if you're talking QB1. They're more in the QB2 range. So you have a player that falls down into that range, and all of a sudden, your advantages of having the two elite quarterbacks, it's gone. Maybe both of them are performing below the QB1 replacement level range. And now you're going, man, I only had these two because I figured, man, if I have Justin Herbert and Kyler Murray coming into this year, I'm set. I have two of the top four or five quarterbacks in Dynasty. Well, to date, they haven't really produced those numbers. They've been top 12, but they haven't been top six. They haven't kept up with the Joneses at the very top. So what is one downfall of having a build like that? You don't have a third. And that's one thing that I'm definitely going to be looking at doing next year on the teams that have the elite guys, even if they did produce in that elite range this year, I'm not going to bank on it next year being sticky where they're automatically going to be in that range. I want to have a third quarterback on those teams. We talked about this last offseason in the Patreon channel for a lot of people that already had built teams this way. Hey, Scott, I have two elite quarterbacks. Now what? What do I do with my QB3? What do I do during injuries or a bye week or just regression for a guy where it's like, man, I had Kyler Murray as a clear top six quarterback, but thus far he's only been QB 11, which means maybe there are some games where you don't really want to play him and you want to have a strong third option. I have a team just like that. Joe Burrow, Kyler Murray in the startup. And this is a 14 teamer, so the scarcity is even higher. But what has saved me in that league is the fact that I also drafted Jimmy Garoppolo. And I got lucky with Jimmy Garoppolo, right? Trey Lance's injury, Jimmy Garoppolo winds up in a situation where he has all these weapons, but that third has bailed me out. It's bailed me out during the bye weeks because I know for sure I need a third quarterback at least twice. It's bailed me out during a couple weeks where Kyler Murray's injured. It's bailed me out during a couple weeks where maybe I didn't feel comfortable starting Joe Burrow or Kyler Murray because of their injuries. That's happened once. So all of a sudden we're going from a situation where I only knew I needed a QB three twice to now I've ended up starting him five times. And who knows how many times I may start him the rest of the year. So in that case, that QB3 is a little bit more valuable. Now, 
let's say I have two elite quarterbacks. I've already committed to that build. I've paid up. Again, that's the dominant strategy is to pay up and get two of the elite guys. What do I do with my QB3? And I think this is where a lot of people get into trouble is they go, I want my QB3 to be as good as possible. And I don't think that's the case. I think if you have a QB3 that is on that higher end of that QB2 replacement value, so let's think of somebody currently like Kirk Cousins. So if you have like Kirk Cousins as your QB3, you're probably sitting there going like, okay, how do I decipher the difference between Kirk Cousins' value and somebody else's value that can probably give me the same thing, but the market may value them a little bit cheaper, or the market may value them a little bit less because maybe they don't have the job security that Kirk Cousins does. Like we know he's signed through 2023, so maybe the market value on him is a little bit higher. Maybe he's not the greatest example, but right now, Kirk Cousins checks in at QB 16, but maybe his market value is slightly higher than that. There's other guys that are maybe producing in the exact same range. Think of Geno Smith, think of Jimmy Garoppolo, think of Daniel Jones, those types. Think of Aaron Rodgers. You know, obviously there's threats of Aaron Rodgers maybe retiring after this year, but all of those guys relatively can give you the same as Kirk Cousins in terms of where they occupy a spot on your roster. They're a QB3, but you also want to look at your QB3 as basically a a constant value-gaining spot, meaning if my QB3 is good and the market thinks my QB3 is good, then boom, I'm going to shop my QB3, with the idea being I just need to backfill that third quarterback spot with somebody else that is hopefully within that QB2 range replacement value-wise, so I always have that spot occupied. You don't want to go too far down to where it's like, well, I'm going to trade away my third QB for a guy that's either really, really bad or a guy that doesn't have a job. So I think those two things you have to look at. You always have to look at that QB three spot and say, okay, can I pivot down, pick up an extra second round pick? Can I trade off of Kirk Cousins and get Derek Carr in a second? Can I trade off of Kirk Cousins and swap a first in a second for Aaron Rodgers? Something like that. So really, I'm looking at that QB3 spot. If I ever get lucky, and here's another situation that I've run into. I have a couple teams that have Joe Burrow, Kyler Murray, and Deshaun Watson, or have Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, you know, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson. In those cases, you really kind of have the league by the balls because you control that elite quarterback market even more so than if you had two, but you're also able to shop one of those guys and you know what the price would be to trade one of those guys away. So if you find yourself ever in a position where, and teams might have had this, where they didn't anticipate that Jalen Hurts would be in this situation two years ago. They didn't anticipate that their Justin Fields as their QB3 would put them in this position, but then they hit on those guys. And so now they're like, wow, this guy can maybe step into that elite range. And now I have two elite guys and a really, really good number three. You know, maybe I have Joe Burrow, Dak Prescott, Jalen Hurts. I have a team like that. And really what I'm sitting at in that league is I now have somebody on the really, really high end of the QB2 replacement value range, right? I have Dak Prescott, who's probably at the very, very high end of that, if not a guy that in a given year could threaten the elite range. So I have like the highest common denominator at that spot. So really my goal in the offseason will be, okay, can I pivot off of Dak and go to Derek Carr in a first? Can I pivot off of Dak and go to Kirk Cousins in a first? You know, can I go to the next rookie that maybe takes a step up? Maybe it's Kenny Pickett. I don't happen to like Kenny Pickett that much, but it could be Kenny Pickett and a starting receiver or something like that. But I need to use that spot as a way to pivot off for value. Sometimes you can't find the perfect deal. You know, that league where I have Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Deshaun Watson, I haven't gotten the offer that I want. And I'm willing just to stick it out and say, you know what, maybe I have a little bit of excess value held in my quarterbacks, but I know what it costs to get one of these guys on the open market. And I'm not selling at a lower price point to somebody else just because I have three and I can't start all three. And that's sometimes the logic is like you get in a league where they go, yeah, you can't start all three. So it would make sense for you to trade them. But then the market's just not there for you to get that price that you know it should take at least the four first price, something like that for Lamar, something like that for Deshaun Watson. It's just not there. So I'm willing to hold. And part of it is what I talked about in the tight end episode. If you find yourself in that position where you have three elite guys, okay, don't go any lower on the price because you know what? You're still kind of hoarding the advantage away from one other team by doing that. 
So that's the QB three. This is if you have two elite quarterbacks, your thirds should always be one where you're looking at that third or you're looking at one of your three saying, how do I extract value out of this spot? How do I pull value from this spot without losing the roster construction, without losing the fact that I have a third QB, I have a third QB for emergencies. I have one that's not just completely at the very, very, very bottom. So my third QB is not a guy that absolutely sucks. It's not somebody at the very, very bottom of the QB landscape. It's an actual legitimate starter that has a chance to be, you know, let's just call it top 15, top 18, has a little job security, has produced in the past, an efficient passer, all of those things. I have a pretty comfortable name there at my QB3 spot. Always look at that spot for a way to pull value. How do I go to the bottom of that tier based on the market value, but always occupy that spot with that type of quarterback? That's the goal with the third QB. Now, let's shift a little bit. Let's say you have one elite QB and you can't get a second. You've tried. And this is something we get a lot in terms of questions. People will say, what is the price to go from Derek Carr to Joe Burrow? Derek Carr to Justin Herbert. And there's probably a price. If you put it in a trade calculator, it probably spits out a price where you go, ooh, that's pretty steep. And a lot of times when I see those deals and I have my Derek Carr as my QB too, I see that trade and I go, wow, like basically I'm throwing Derek Carr into the deal. I'm still adding three, four first to him to go to one of those elite quarterbacks. And immediately your mind flips to, okay, how can I exploit the fact that I don't need to pay that price? How do I get around it, still build what I think is the right roster construction for this type of build, but not have to basically give up all my assets and make a bet and say, okay, I really believe in Joe Burrow so much that I'm going to pay three or four firsts on top of Derek Carr to get him. That really doesn't make sense. It's really hard to do that when you are giving a valuable quarterback asset back in the deal. If it's just four random draft pick firsts, you're probably going, okay, I'd be okay paying that for Joe Burrow if that's the cost. But all of a sudden, it's three future firsts and Derek Carr in the trade. It just feels like you're giving up a little bit more. And it's really because it feels, you're feeling what it feels like to disrupt your roster construction. So let's say you have an elite quarterback. Let's say you have Patrick Mahomes. Great problem to have. But you also have Derek Carr. How do I build a quarterback room around that? So this is where it gets to be a little bit different than the two elite build. One elite quarterback. My second is kind of average in terms of replacement value for QB2s. What you're trying to do in those QB2 and QB3 spots there is get to the highest end range at the best bang for your buck. So that's where you see some quarterback rooms this year that are successful. Let's say they have Patrick Mahomes, but then they also have their QB2 and QB3, which they can A, platoon, B, they can fill in for injuries or bye weeks, even for Mahomes, and they're not getting crushed as much as you might think they would be. And at the same time, they're also trying to fish at the bottom end of that range in terms of market, but hit the highest production possible. And that's not something we really talk about a lot, but think about it. You always want to get the most points per game or the most production for the least cost. So how do I go to the quarterback landscape and go, fine, I have Pat Mahomes, but I have tried like hell to get a second elite quarterback. Nobody will trade one. And I think that's going to be one of those themes that I talked about at the beginning of the episode is it's going to be more and more difficult to get the elite quarterbacks in existing leagues after this year. So I think you're going to see a lot more people adopting this type of build, which is the one elite and then two efficient guys to round out your QB room at QB2 and QB3. So this is where if you have, let's say, Josh Allen, you're perfectly fine with the QB room of Geno Smith and Jimmy Garoppolo as your two and three. And that might seem like it's not effective, but then you look at it and you go, wow, I have essentially three top 15 quarterbacks. I have an anchor, and then I have a rotation at that QB2 and QB3 spot, which it really doesn't matter which one I play. I have basically the same odds to get top 15 or better production from both sides, and I can essentially look at matchups. If I only have one available, I play that guy. If I have the pick between a matchup, I can pick the higher end one, and hopefully, if I have just a little bit of an edge in picking the right matchup, who has the best defense they're going against, who's at home, who's in the best weather, whatever it might be, you have a chance to hit on not a second elite quarterback, but those are the guys that are still popping up top eight, top 10 weeks randomly. So if you can hit on that, that's actually a lot more of an equitable way to play it based on the current market. Because as the price of those elite quarterbacks goes up, 
It'll be like, hey, I have Josh Allen. I'm looking for a second elite quarterback. Who wants to trade one? Nothing. Maybe one person's willing to trade them and they want you to gut your roster. Or the funniest thing is sometimes I'll, I'll have Josh Allen or I have an elite quarterback and I'll go, hey, I'm interested in getting your Justin Herbert. And they go, sure, let's work out a deal. Um, you're going to have to throw in Josh Allen. You know, I'm going like, okay, that doesn't fit what I'm trying to accomplish here. So there really isn't a deal that we can find. What I'm looking to do is give up extra receivers. I'm looking to give up future draft picks. I'm definitely looking to trade running backs if I can. Uh, How do I extract value from those other spots on my team to get a quarterback? And that's what we talked about on the wide receiver threshold episode is when you find a point where you have enough receivers to get by, that's where you're starting to fish in that range. Like, wow, I have a guy like Chris Olave or Jalen Waddle. Like maybe one of those guys can be the piece that could get me the elite quarterback. And this is how you do it. And I'll talk about that more next week uh, when you get in those circumstances. But Again, the second strategy is I have an elite quarterback. What do I do if I can't get a second one? And it's basically you're trying to maximize the efficiency and maximize on the highest end of that QB2 replacement value level, two more guys that I can essentially platoon. That's the build. Now, the third type of build, let's say I can't get an elite quarterback. And this probably shouldn't be what happens in a startup draft. I would say if I'm doing a brand new league, I am going to do anything I can to make sure I get at least one elite quarterback. But in an existing league, and I have a couple leagues like this, I can't get one of the elite guys. I've tried. I've tried with my Tua Tagovailoa, my Trevor Lawrence. I've tried to pivot up. I've tried to get into the elite tier, into the top five, top six, top seven. I just can't. The price has not been something I'm comfortable with. It's been, hey, you need Tua and three firsts to get to Justin Herbert, something like that. I'm just going, no, that doesn't make sense. So how do I build around that? So the third build is I can't get an elite quarterback. What do I do? And hopefully this isn't in a startup. You don't want to go in a startup being like, yeah, I don't need a quarterback. I'll just build this way. That's not how I would do it. But in an existing league, you could find yourself in this position. So what do I do? Here, I think you need to always be looking for the smallest of edges where, okay, can I go from a tier three quarterback to a tier two quarterback? Uh, Ray has awesome tiers on his Patreon. Uh, so check that out again, patreon.com slash all gas. You can get access to everybody at the destination Devi team uh, that puts out that information, but Ray has his own dynasty tiers. And it's not that, you know, Ray's are perfect, but it's a place that you can look for a reference. And there's a lot of other places that obviously put out tiers and rankings and whatnot. But how can I incrementally go up a tier? You're always trying to do that if you're stuck in this spot. But I had another team that actually won a championship in 2021, and the quarterbacks were Matt Stafford, Aaron Rodgers, and Kirk Cousins. And those were three guys that all finished in that range of like the really, really good, the high end of the replacement value at QB2s. But none of those guys were top eight. None of those guys even fit the mold of second tier quarterbacks. Like they weren't really getting close to that elite tier, but the power was the fact that I had all three of them. So I always had what I hoped was two potential top 12 quarterbacks every week. By weeks, I always had an option to fill in. Injuries, I usually had an option to fill in. And the weeks that were all healthy, I had the ability to play the matchups. So that was the best way for me to go against the team that had two elite quarterbacks. Because what you're starting to find is a lot of leagues, there are one or two teams where you're like, damn, they have two elite quarterbacks. They're going to be really tough to stop. You know, they have Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen. That's going to be really hard to beat. And you're not going to do it by starting two dog shit quarterbacks. So if you're stuck and you can't get one of those guys, and there's a couple teams in your league that have quarterback rooms like that, you got to go at it and say, okay, I need to try to pick which guys I think can be 2021 Matt Stafford. Which ones can be 2021 Aaron Rodgers? Which one can be 2022 Dak Prescott, 2022 Jimmy Garoppolo, Geno Smith? And there's a little more risk there. Sometimes there are names where you go, man, I don't really trust these guys long-term. But a lot of times these guys are in A, an attainable range, and B, they offer a little bit of job security. That's why I did the the show on quarterback efficiency, because it kind of gives you ideas of what might be predictive in terms of quarterbacks that have a little staying power. You know, which guys are not just putting up fantasy production, but they're really not that good. So you look at, I mean, the consummate example is Derek Carr, Kirk Cousins. Like those two have been in this range for five plus years. And I see no reason they don't stay in this range next year. So you look at that and you say, okay, I need three of those guys. 
I need a quarterback room that has three of those guys. And I probably need to start addressing this quarterback room every year because it could change. This year, if you said, I have Russell Wilson, Matt Stafford, Aaron Rodgers, you're getting crushed. And next year, you have to have legitimate concerns that you don't have three guys that are in that range. So I think when you have these types of quarterback rooms, they are more volatile from year to year. But at least for the short term, a one to two year window, you can survive. But you always have to be looking at, okay, let's say I have a quarterback room like that this year. And I happen to be on the higher end with a couple of these guys. So for example, this year, let's say you have Dak Prescott, right? So Dak Prescott currently is quarterback 13. So he's kind of on that range. But is there a chance? Is there ever a spot where I can maybe upgrade slightly on Dak Prescott? Can I take a chance and go to Kyler Murray from Dak Prescott? Can I take a chance and go from Dak Prescott to Justin Fields? Something like that. And you always kind of want to be looking at how do I go up a tier if I have a QB room like this? But don't get me wrong. This type of QB room can win in a single season. It can beat an elite quarterback room where they have Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow. Like you can beat those teams, but you have to have over the long term of a season, you have to have three options. And this is all again in a utopian world where we just look at points per game and we look at the distribution of those points across a full season. It doesn't take into account the weekly variance that we see all the time at these positions. Uh, there are a lot more names that can also be spot starters that jump into this range, uh, especially guys that can run. We see guys that spot start all the time, and it's like, wow, they're not a starter. They're not going to be a starter for more than a couple games. But man, I know their skill set translates into, as soon as I know Tyler Huntley is starting, I have a pretty good shot that he might be in that QB2 replacement value range, but he's not a starter. So really, you have to look at your last quarterback spot, and that's where we'll talk about the the last couple minutes of the show, is that QB4 spot. What is that? You know, do you want to have four quarterbacks? I see teams out there where they have four legitimate starting quarterbacks. You know, they might have Geno Smith as their fourth quarterback. They might have Jimmy Garoppolo as their fourth quarterback, which is fine. This quarterback four spot can really just be a wild card spot. This can be a multitude of things. It can be a fourth quarterback. Now, I would also say that in these circumstances where it is a legitimate, like Jimmy Garoppolo is my fourth quarterback, you should always be trying to shop one of those guys. You should always be looking to shop one of those types to liquidate. And now if you want to slide him into a QB3 spot, then fine. But you always want to be looking if you have four quarterbacks to shop one, to liquidate one, and just store that value somewhere else. That's where if you have a QB4, let's say Geno Smith, your QB4, you never expected him to be anything other than he's a fill-in starter. Instead, he's a top 15 quarterback. Okay, so I have a fourth top 15. Maybe I have four top 20 quarterbacks on my roster. How can I pivot off of one of those for value, liquidation value? So it's really just maneuvering that fourth QB spot, trying to pull value from it at all times. Now, it can also be a developmental player. This gives you one extra spot for Malik Willis, one extra spot for Desmond Ritter, one extra spot for a guy that maybe could get a starting job next year, but isn't currently a starter this year. So maybe you look and say at the quarterback landscape next year that Jameis Winston's going to be a starter next year, or maybe you're holding Gardner Minshew or something like that. You have one extra spot to play with. And if you want to use that as a value flip, if they become a short-term starter, then fine. But you have one extra spot to play with. And that's where you get into the future rookie drafts. You know, you might get into a spot where next year you have one of these one elite quarterback and two other solid quarterback rooms. You want to draft a quarterback in the rookie draft, but you're also carrying a fourth quarterback on your team already. Think about that before you make that pick. Think about your roster construction. Do you want to be the team that has now five quarterbacks? Do you want to draft two quarterbacks in your rookie draft? Let's say you want to take one in the second round. Somebody like Michael Penix falls to the middle of the second round and you go, wow, that guy was an early third round pick. I want to see what happens. That's how you start getting out of roster construction. And I'm not saying don't do that in the short term, but think about that before you draft three quarterbacks in your rookie draft because you think they're value. You know, what is your long-term plan here? So hopefully this helps. I've gone through multiple different types of quarterback rooms. Um, It's a fluid thing. 
you really start talking in absolutes, assigning names to these ranges, and then all of a sudden we get a new year, everything changes. So pay attention to the quarterback landscape. We're going to see a carousel again where names are flying, players are jumping into tiers, players are falling out of tiers, players could retire. I mean, we have Matt Ryan could retire, Aaron Rodgers could retire, Tom Brady could retire, Matt Stafford could retire. We have guys that are currently backups that could be starters. Uh, some guys that are currently starters that all of a sudden we go, wow, there's only one or two spots left and there's four or five starters remaining. Who's going to get a job? So it's really always following that and just understanding how those tiers impact Dynasty, but also how it impacts your roster build. Uh, I've seen a lot of teams, and I'll address this next week or maybe on a future show. I've seen a lot of teams where you look at their roster construction, and the first thing I look at when I look at, look at a team is I look at their quarterback room. You know, if it's a super flex league, I look at their quarterback room. What does it look like? Then I look at their draft picks and I say, okay, you're a tanking team. Clearly you're not a very good team. Maybe you only have one starting quarterback. Maybe it's somebody like Daniel Jones. Okay. Daniel Jones is a guy I'm fairly confident. You can kind of lump into that replacement value QB two range next year. So he's not going to be your QB one. If he is, you're in trouble, but you have a building block. So I look at your roster, you have Daniel Jones, that's it. But you also have five first round picks. So you have a building block, but then you're holding five firsts, one of them being the 101. And then I wonder, okay, what is this team going to do? What is their plan? And here would be my plan. My plan would be, okay, can I use that 101 potentially to get an elite quarterback? Just one. Let me start with one. Because if I can get one and I can use the 101 and maybe another first to get an elite quarterback, perfect. Now I'm on the road to, I just need to fill that QB3 spot with another guy similar to Daniel Jones. And I can probably do that by trading away another first. I can do that by trading down in the draft, picking up some extra capital and then adding to another piece and getting a third quarterback like that. But boom, I've now built a quarterback room, and I haven't had to go out and buy two elite quarterbacks. Because you might look at the Daniel Jones team and go, man, that's all he has. It's going to be impossible for him to be a quarterback room. Maybe. But if you have an idea in mind of where you want to go and how you want to allocate your assets, then you can do it. But you you can't just look at it and go, you know what, I'm just going to go BPA, best player available, always make the best player available in my rookie draft. Or I think more importantly, a lot of teams I see this year that have the 101, And I'm not just talking about teams with maybe an extra first. I'm talking about the team that's going to get the 101. Look in your league, and you're probably like, wow, I already know what team's going to get the 101. But then you look at that roster, and you go, man, they have no quarterbacks. Or maybe they have one or two. And they're not guys I can really pencil into a certain slot next year. But all they have is the 101 and maybe another first. What are they going to do? How are they going to construct their team? What is their plan? And I think that's one of the things that's going to be fascinating this offseason is really, I know what their plan is. Their plan is, let me use the value of that 101 to try to get this ultimate package where I can reboot my roster until it doesn't happen. Until we realize that the running back landscape is such to where I think those people are going to be in for a rude awakening. They realize that that 101, it's great to have until they put it on the block. And they realize, wow, there's a lot of teams in my league that are not going to be willing to disrupt their roster construction because they have a really good QB room. They're not going to disrupt that to get a running back. I think that's the danger of this 2023 class is we don't have the obvious quarterback names to say, okay, there's going to be four or five first round quarterbacks in this class. And after being burned by the 2021 class and then the 2022 class not really having any options, I think a lot of dynasty managers are going to go, you know what? I'm not going to try to build my quarterback room with rookie picks. I'm not going to pencil in those three firsts and go, I'm drafting three quarterbacks. And then I hope I can just spray and pray and turn that into a quarterback room that looks a little bit like what I've talked about in this episode. So that's going to be fascinating. That's going to be the fun thing. Ray said it in the discord the other day, the biggest advantage that you may see in 2023 in terms of rookie drafts is Obviously, hitting on the right quarterbacks. If you draft Bryce Young and he becomes Kyler Murray, or maybe not the exact same as Kyler Murray, but you get the point. If you draft that guy and he jumps into that Dak Prescott or better range, that's awesome. You hit. That's great. You know, that's a risk. You're probably having to use a 102, 103, 104 at the lowest to get one of those guys, but you hit. But it's a big risk. But the other advantage be if you can maybe find one of these QB2s later in the draft. And that'll be another key. If you can pick up a guy that gets drafted 
late second, early third. And even if you get Geno Smith-type productions, Jacoby Brissett-type production this year, even Davis Mills-type production for last year, and that's like the very bottom end. If you can get that for a year, it's going to be an advantage relative to the cost. So that'll be fascinating with this rookie draft class. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode. I kind of talked through the quarterback trends and also what quarterback rooms should look like. Again, go back and listen to all the prior episodes. I will come back next week with one final roster construction show to tie all four of the previous ones together, talk about all the positions, how they work in congruence, and then also some strategies of how to shape teams this way. It's easy in a startup. You can listen to this series and say, okay, I have a blueprint. I'm going to go into my startup and execute it. I'm just going to play the market. As long as I stay within this construction, I'll be fine. In an existing league, it's tougher because you're dealing with, okay, I'm already underground a little bit, right? Like I might start six feet under and then I have to get to this perfect level. And then I also have to do it based on the trade market in my league. So we'll talk about that next week as we tie everything together in one final show about roster construction. Uh, check out everything at DD. Again, patreon.com slash all gas. Check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash dynasty and chill. Subscribe to the Destination Devi newsletter. A lot of great content that comes out weekly. All you have to do is put in your email. It is allgas.beehive, B-E-E-H-I-I-V, slash subscribe. Again, put in your email. You get a weekly feed newsletter that comes to your email with a bunch of different content, including Dynasty, DFS, betting, redraft, player profiles, a ton of stuff in there from all the great DD creators. So check that out. And I will be back next week with the final roster construction series episode. Be chill. Ain't like Only ones I keep around me is my family.